You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Stefan is away this week, but we have uh, a very good replacement for him this week, Rob Shirky from Our Horizon. Stay tuned for the Green Majority Podcast. If you like our program and you want us to uh, expand our program, uh, perhaps add some video content, which is what I'm working very hard on right now, uh, or the possibility of uh, a possible part-time staff to help us promote the show and uh, do some production work for us, just generally make the show better, you can become a member at greenmajority.ca. Welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in studio here live on uh, Friday. Man, I don't even know what day it is. It's Friday, the September the 30th is when we're recording. Uh, we are going to be talking a little bit about uh, the LNG approval this week and my severe disapproval. Uh, I am, however, joined. I should, I should, before we go any further, let you know that... Uh, uh, there's sort of an ongoing debate about uh, whether or not Stefan, my usual co-host, and I, uh, uh, whether I'm just more forceful than he is and whether we're both sort of pessimists uh, or whether he's like, you know, 5 to 20 percent more sunny than me. There is, there is one issue, though, that is not questionable, which is that my current co-host today uh, literally exudes sunshine from his pores. Probably one of, the, one of the most joyful and continuously happy people I know uh, is here to offset because I'm feeling about 85% more irritable today than I normally do. So thank you very much, Rob Shirky from Our Horizon for joining us today to offset my storm clouds. My pleasure. Uh, it's, it's awesome to be here. Although <laughs> offsets are problematic, but, <laughs> but we'll not get into that. I appreciate the nice sunny intro. Awesome. <laughs> so uh, uh, I have the pleasure, of, of course, of working in the same building as Robin. So we have a, a, a nice passing in the hallway uh, relationship, but it, it's always a pleasure to actually get you down into the studio uh, and, uh, and have an extended chat. So just as a brief uh, uh, recap, uh, we're going to get into a little bit of our horizon stuff in the second segment of this program. But if you would kindly just share shotgun for people in case they haven't heard you before they don't know what our horizon is if you wanted to shotgun it right now so people mm-hmm. know who you are uh so our horizon is a nonprofit that i run uh we do climate advocacy specifically we're asking governments to legislate call them climate change disclosure uh, labels or warning labels for gas pumps uh the thinking is then you're taking this sort of intangible maybe sometimes far away uh thing called climate change and you're, you're making it a little more real a little more tangible right in the palm of of a person's hand week after week that then creates greater social impetus to address the problem. Uh, and the hope is that you'll then see governments and business respond to that shift in demand. Uh, but we'll get into some of the progress we've made later. All right. So before we get to your progress, mm-hmm. let's, 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 do the, let's do the bad news first, which is that there has been somewhat of a setback in this issue. Uh, Tuesday, the Trudeau government uh, approved the $36 billion uh, liquefied natural gas project in B.C., uh, with uh, well, they're saying, hold on, hold on, hold on. There's 190 conditions, so we'll, we're going to dig into a little bit about what this, uh, what some of that means. Um, however, the the headlines, which was not even lost uh, onto the Bloomberg Market page, uh, was that this is somewhat curious, riding on a wave of supposedly environmental bona fides, if you mm-hmm. will. Um, so we're going to dig a little bit into the economics here. I have uh, a number of articles from. 
the routers, uh, Reuters rather, uh, commodities pages, which we're not going to dig it. This is not about numbers. I'm not going to give you stock advice, but it, it's very interesting. Whenever there's oil news, I do like to go over those pages because I like to see what the people who – uh, at best, tangentially, even are aware of the environmental impacts uh, and rarely mention them, and don't put, uh, don't care too much outside of their impact on the markets themselves. Have to say about these issues, uh, and I have to say, it, a lot of the time, I, I end up it, it doesn't go anywhere because they're not saying anything I think interesting or adds to the conversation. Today, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we get to that, let's just talk about exactly what uh, happened. So. Uh, this was a project that was going uh, on for quite some time. It's been postponed, postponed, postponed. Uh, we've been looking at it for uh, for about two years. Um, the claim was that uh, – or the, the intention was was that this was going to be set back to the drawing board to a large degree. We've spoken about this on the program before. Uh, the conservatives, of course, have been uh, going the whole time saying, it's terrible. You have to do this. This is uh, you know absolutely uh, necessary for the future of Canada. Uh, and largely, the opposition f- from the Trudeau government, uh, even this entire time, was not even necessarily no – uh, it was just a well. We're gonna, you know, we don't have a bias for oil, so we're gonna we're gonna be the calm, rational party. Which I want to start right now a trend for this week's show, which is things that Trudeau says that sound indistinguishable from things that Harper said. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of which is, hey, now this just makes economic sense. What do you want me to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is damn near close a direct quote from either of those gentlemen. Uh, so, Rob, before we get into some of the uh, specific economic numbers mm. and the specific economic numbers that I think uh, just absolutely devastate any credibility Trudeau, go- Trudeau government might have had under any any possible circumstance of anyone with any ideology interested in facts, mm. um, what is your reaction to the news? Well, uh, it's funny. The phrase I keep hearing over and over is – well, it's about bringing resources to market, dot, 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 sustainably, right? Um, And that, I want to say, like, ideologically, isn't all that different than the previous party. Uh, You heard Prime Minister uh, Trudeau use that language, and then it would have been a couple days ago at the announcement you heard uh, Minister McKenna say the same thing. And I wonder if this is just so deeply embedded in in sort of almost our, our identity, our sense of, Canada, we are um, hewers of wood, drawers of water. That's what we do. We provide the world with resources. And, you know, the reality is we know, uh, your listeners know, that you can't just keep on digging this stuff up and lighting it on fire. That That's no longer workable. We're hitting some real limits in that respect. So uh, the very sort of thing that we're doing, I mean, there's no such thing as bringing this thing to market sustainably like the very act the very like the core business is unsustainable um and so that's that's tricky like if that's part of your dna how do you create some other narrative to take its its place right um yeah the 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 story i was sort of relating just not that long ago was i had a um uh, i was at this sort of a, a lunch thing where i was at a table with a fairly senior person at General Motors uh, that works at the Oshawa plant. And at that table, we were talking about transformative things that we can do in our work. So my little spiel is the work that I'm doing, and hopefully we could feel more connected to this problem. That creates greater impetus to address it. Maybe we, we denormalize our use of fossil fuels, and we're more, we're more interested in alternatives now. And then it's this person's turn, and I'm hoping that they'll say something like, well, you know what? We've been making by and large, internal combustion engine vehicles, uh, you know, for over a century. Um, 
maybe we should do something else. Maybe there's other ways of moving people's and goods. Maybe electric vehicles, whatever the solution. And I'm optimistic. You know, this, the, it was one of these sort of safe space cone of silence things. Um, and and this person talks about, um, well, there's there's a marsh, you know, right where our plant is located. And we're thinking about doing some some restorative work on the marsh, thinking, no, <laughs> no. like And so it's very in line with this. Uh, it's just working around the edge of whatever it is you're doing, making the frill sustainable, right? Mm. Um, but your core business is is unsustainable, and that's what we have here. Yeah. And and, and before we move on, I mean, the, the thing that I always think about with that um, sort of thing is like, it's it's a lot of time I hear those stories, and I've heard I've heard so many stories similar to that of people working with industry or working with government and having you know being there for these aha moments. But the aha is like really pathetic. Mm. Um, and I mean, of course, I'm going to be more harsh than you will, but it, that's my right. <laughs> it's my show. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but you know, but I mean, to, to, to sort of cut them slack to the degree that you can, mm. um, and it's not much. But but what I hear when I hear that is this is literally the first time this person ever thought of that, right? Like if you go to a grade one class and you explain in really basic terms, super, super generic terms, leave out all the chemical names and all this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, bad thing goes in your water. Bad thing makes you sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and Timmy goes, well – let's let's clean the bad water let's not put it like these are the like honestly these are the types of things that they're coming up with Mm -hmm. right like i just explained to you that the world is about to be on fire and to a certain degree is already on fire Mm -hmm. and your solution is uh maybe there's a market for umbrellas Uh, (laughs) like it's not like it's it's both it's both categorically not enough Mm -hmm. and doesn't even really understand like you're not even understanding the problem and Mm -hmm. even and even in the problem you think that you're addressing this is a bad solution for Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. and it and and it really just this this is why i think that that so many activists um, can on occasion seem shrill uh, mm. or seem aggressive. Uh, it's because it's it's like it's very it seems to be very clear. It's like I'm I'm sorry. I feel like you didn't quite hear what I said, or or, or forget what I said. You you didn't quite hear what the scientist told you. It's like mm-hmm. the scientist tells you the world is on fire, you know, and you go okay. We're gonna now offer organic greens in our cafeteria. <laughs> totally, like, that's those yeah. two things are unrelated. They're they're not only they're not only quantifiably not good enough. Mm-hmm. They're not even related. Uh, what's amazing is uh, a lot of these businesses in the oil and gas sector, when it comes to safety procedures, like they are, it's impeccable. And the floor at these plants, I mean, you could eat off the floor, right? It's it's that clean, it's that tidy. Um, there's this bizarre, it's it's like this misplaced obsession, right, with safety and, and all sorts of different protocol when. The core nature of, of what you're doing is actually unsustainable. I'm going to bring my sunshine little glimmer of hope, though. Let's look at that phrase, bringing resources to market, right? Mm-hmm. I think largely there is a fixation on this bringing resources piece. And a lot of us in the environmental sector, we then we then spend our, our, our focus sort of upstream, right? So where are these resources coming from? Points of extraction, means of moving the product, pipelines, etc. But looking at that to market piece, what I find is really interesting is the 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 company this um, Petronas? Uh, I think it's a Malaysian company. The market really isn't that great for them right now. Prices are low. There's a glut, right? And the economics of this project uh, might very well mean that that the thing isn't doable. Maybe down the road when market conditions change, who knows? But for now, will this thing even happen, right? And and I think to myself, you know what? With a lot of these challenges, if you can ask the simple question, well, how do we use 
that product, be it liquefied natural gas, be it uh, oil, be it you know what have you, and then and then try to intervene in that marketplace to to either shrink that that market to make it you know to provide alternatives uh, to make it less appealing in some way. Uh, I think that can actually then drive change upstream, and that's actually part of you know the work that I'm doing. I'm trying to denormalize our use of fossil fuels, make us collectively as consumers feel a little less satisfied with that, then we're more interested in alternatives. And I think by, by focusing on how can we engage markets in creative ways, that can actually then drive change um, upstream. So who knows if this project will ever actually come into being? Like we're certainly trying our hard, our hardest on the bringing resources piece, but maybe the market might not be there right now. So the, the fabulous transition, let's talk about that. So later in, uh, in the National Observer article for which uh, was one of my reference pieces today, there's a, a, great, uh, a great quote by uh, Reg Paul, uh, Plummer, who's a retired economist who worked for Natural Resources Canada. A quote by him says, it costs four to five dollars per thousand cubic feet, cubic feet to liquefy and, and two to move it. That's $6 you need to subtract from the $6 or $7 you're going to get for it when it gets across to the Asian market. That leaves you just $1 to $2 to get it to market, get it out of the ground, pay royalties and taxes and the LNG tax. And that's if prices stay the same. Let's talk about that for a second. The uh, announcement to approve the LNG pipeline would happened Tuesday, uh, I believe roughly midday. At 7.46 this morning in the uh, super liberal, not trustworthy, uh, hippie bastion of the Reuters commodities section, Petronas weighs sail to exit $27 billion Canada LNG pipeline, according to sources. The Malaysian firm is considered selling its majority stake in the $27 billion uh, LNG plant. Uh, three different people uh, inside these, uh, this company and part of the negotiations are saying due to the slide in the price of oil and the uncertainty of market and they're not sure that they will be able to make a profit even if this project goes ahead so um so there's that argument uh that you know okay well what do you want companies to do right uh mm. the the person at uh, sorry which plant you said gm uh g yes gm, GM plant in, in oshawa fair totally fair point mm-hmm. totally fair point to come back at me and say they make cars they're not scientists do you like what do you expect them right like mm. you, you can't expect them to be experts in everything and i say fair enough cool that's why we need governments to regulate them to force them mm-hmm. oh the government doesn't doesn't want to do anything because they're going to make a bunch of money well it turns out they're wrong on that too so the uh trudeau this week has made an absolute fool of himself by selling out his base to go completely against uh, the largely the reason, the only other reason other than he was a person with a pulse that his name was not Harper uh, was that there was a chance that he was going to make strong or even any action on climate change. He has proceeded to uh, not to do any of those things. So a great article, uh, article here from the Thai uh, where they're going through uh, all of the things. So the name of the article here, and I suggest you, if this is my one suggested read for the week, uh, in September, did the liberal, uh, liberals out Harper, the conservatives? It goes on to list, I won't go through all of it, but it goes through to list in this month alone, the number of things in which uh, Trudeau has either doubled down on Harper policies that he was elected by lacerating the same policies uh, or making them worse. Uh, so I won't go through the details. I will just shotgun them, and then we'll go back to, for uh, for Rob to have final comment in this section. So um, uh, one of them was uh, taking uh, – they were, of course, criticizing the uh, green, uh, greenhouse gas targets. Uh, they've now been essentially cemented. There was uh, a lot of uh, ruckus about the C-51. They're now considering expanding it rather than contracting it after some extremely uh, fluffy, to say the – to be as nice as possible uh, consultations. 
Um, where else have we got here? Uh, so yes, they're going ahead with the LNG, which of course they were very critical of. Uh, Catherine McKenna herself, I think, has to be sweating in her sleep right now uh, after going on for months and months and months criticizing the conservatives uh, for their targets, now greenlighting this project, which I remind you five seconds ago we talked about now may not happen because the company mm. itself doesn't think it may be profitable. So let's go back just really briefly before I throw back to you, uh, Rob. Let's, I just want to bring you back into that comment. So 4 to $5 per thousand cubic feet to liquefy, $2 to move it. And you're only going to get six or seven bucks for it. Hmm. We go to the all the financial pages right now. OPEC agreed Wednesday to reduce its oil output um, and uh, basically um, cap production uh, to try and stem the falling in carbon uh, carbon related fuels pricing, LNG, oil, everything. Uh, because they're trying to catch the price before it bottoms out, before nobody can make any money. Hmm. This is the climate yeah. in which a very smiley, very friendly supposedly liberal politically you know by name only liberal party leader uh is telling us that we need to go ahead with uh massive billions and billions of dollars worth of investment for infrastructure that that locks us physically into infrastructure that lasts 40 years only makes makes financial sense you know Mm -hmm. if you if you're buying a business or if you ever bought property you amortize the thing, okay, well, I, these are my capital costs. I mm-hmm, need to, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. if I'm going to, uh, I'm working in a restaurant right now, we buy a bunch of ovens. What you do is you need to f- figure out how you're going to pay for that oven. Yes, okay, I'm going to make money with it, but I have to pay it. So there's a bunch of math. We're not going to go through the math, but you have to you have to put that into your costs. Mm-hmm. Well, those, those numbers, those profit margins only make sense if you use the thing for its entire lifespan. Mm-hmm. If I would buy a $2,000 uh, pastry oven and I use, use it for a week, realistically, it doesn't matter how many, like, there's, I couldn't possibly make enough cupcakes in those two weeks mm-hmm. to have made financial sense to buy that oven. Yeah. Uh, so in that light, what the hell's going on? You have three minutes. <laughs> um, so a few thoughts. One, I'm, I'm willing to guess that Patronus, unlike my organization, is probably not structured as a nonprofit, right? <laughs> so in addition to that, those calculations, right, there's the the profit margin. Is it worthwhile? They're probably not just doing this to break even. And there's the opportunity cost of where else could they have parked their money, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so beyond just the cost of bringing the thing to market, it's they have to make a decision. Is it worthwhile? And we were talking about this earlier. What if, what if this is actually some part of a, a, a grand master plan whereby our government um, uh, issues permits for things that'll never see shovels in the ground because they just don't make economic sense. Uh, and then maybe issues for uh, – or, or refuses to issue permits for things that do. On balance, they get to say, no, 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 we're, we're issuing things you know, for some projects here and some other ones we're denying. We're fairly balanced. But in the end, nothing ever happens. And next thing you know, Canada's a, a leader on climate change. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Um, two plus two equals 14. <laughs> exactly. But um, but it's tricky. And what's interesting, too, just about this entire sector is it tends to work on this boom-bust cycle, right? So right now there's a glut, uh, too much product on the market, prices are low, they're being sort of suppressed, right? And so then you get organizations like OPEC wanting to hold back, you know, on, on moving product, on, on bringing the stuff out of the earth. And then hopefully that sort of uh, constrained supply, you see sort of a, a leveling out or, or at least maybe prices might come up. Eventually, though, what does then happen uh, is you will see if prices go up high enough, more money coming in into new projects, and then you do this cycle again, right? Because then there's this glut, and you know then it's not worthwhile to do a project. Uh, it's it's a really tough sector to be in, and I also wonder if you are Patronus, doing your your sort of planning on this uh, you know horizon sort of a thing where where this project would take a few years to sort of get up and running. 
they have to be looking at well, what are prices in the future, right? Um, and I don't know the calculations that you know that they're making on this. I don't. I mean, who knows if this project will actually get off the ground? Uh, but I. Well, I don't believe what I was saying earlier about this grand master plan of you know the liberals. But part of me wonders that there's got to be some discussion, you know, going on in, in sort of circles of strategy behind this thing. Will they actually build it? Right? What are the political risks in in issuing a permit in in not issuing a permit? Right? Um, I don't know. Yeah. So the the last thing, the last couple of quick thing, we'll shotgun out really quick here before we go to our music break. That I that I forgot to mention was that that, that those numbers that I repeated twice also does not include a potential uh, and promised future national carbon tax, which would almost certainly like the the questionable profits then turns that into mm-hmm. almost certainly this there's no money to be made in this project so uh two conclusions can be i i only see two conclusions mm-hmm. from this rob uh either trudeau is really bad at math with numbers that don't exceed 10 mm-hmm. basic addition and subtraction and numbers smaller than with only including one decimal place mm-hmm. or uh, the Trudeau government has absolutely no intention whatsoever of of actually trying to pass a carbon tax because it would completely gut this project and which mm. they're going to invest a ton of political capital they're going to they they mm. can't be so stupid as to not think that uh there will mm. not be a giant revolt from those voters that were concerned about climate change so the only way you would do that is if you thought okay well we're going to get so much support from the canadians that are slightly more concerned about economics than they are about climate change mm-hmm. uh that we're that will take the hit because we think mm. we can survive it due to that support. The only way this project makes sense is if there's no carbon tax. So that we're left with a question, Rob: Is Trudeau stupid or is he lying? <laughs> well, you know what? I actually do think there will be a carbon tax, but where I tend to get a little bit concerned, I would be interested in a carbon tax that that tends to change behavior, that tends to drive investment in another way, where the objective of the carbon tax is to address climate change. I know, though, that there are a lot of people out there where they sort of conceive of the carbon tax as then granting social license for a variety of projects. So, yeah, we're doing something about climate change. We've got a carbon tax, and now we're actually okay to to do a lot of these projects. And what worries me, uh, you know, if I'm sitting in Stefan's cynical chair right now, you know, (laughs) might, might that actually be the story? Well, I think if we've concluded nothing else from this first segment, it's why uh, Rob gets to go and talk to uh, important people and have polite conversations and not me. We've we've established that one thing, if nothing else. Neil, first of all, welcome back, my friend. Uh, Thanks. For those listeners who have been uh, tuning in only recently, Neil and I I go way back. Uh, Neil Neil was a former tech for the show, uh, now back in town. We're very happy to see you. Uh, Would you please uh, introduce our music break? Yeah, thanks, Darren. It's, uh, It's great to be back on the show. All right, we're uh, we're back, uh, Rob. I just gave him uh, some homework to do. He's flipping through his phone really quick. I'll buy him a second there to look to look through it. So you're listening to the Green Majority. I'm your host, uh, Darren Kaster. Uh, Stefan is away this week. I'm joined uh, instead by Rob Shirky, who is the uh, executive director for Our Horizon. Uh, he helped me uh, uh, s- uh, somewhat dilute my uh, my uh, let's say pronounced irritation. Uh, at this week's news. Uh, however, I have to say I was not surprised. Rob, uh, what I was doing this morning, and, and I w- I'm, I'm sad to say I ran out of time and I was not able to do so, uh, I was actually lucky enough to participate in CIUT's election night coverage here in this very room uh, during the election, this most recent election uh, that put the Trudeau government in office. And, and I had a line in there and I remembered saying it. I tried to find it to play a clip in like a told you so segment mm. uh, where I said that I didn't believe for a second any of this stuff was going to happen. Um, so 
like I'm really not surprised because I I smelled Trudeau as someone who was um you know largely in agreement with conservative policies but just he wanted to be the one in charge mm. uh he mm. thought he thinks that uh uh I I feel like there I, I actually feel and and some people may balk at this uh briefly uh but I, I mean it only in a very specific way not completely but I actually see a lot of similarities between Trump and Trudeau now people go mm. whoa but here's where I'm going with this uh Trump uh is uh an absolute egomaniac he's mm-hmm. a complete narcissist and uh, I think there is a lot of – although I may not go as far as Trump and I don't think that Trudeau is a lunatic where I do absolutely think that Trump is a narcissistic lunatic. Uh, I think that Trudeau has a serious narcissism problem because he is far more concerned by his actions, the, the, uh, the evidence of his actions uh, with being liked and doing the easy thing. And he tries to find every opportunity to both be liked and take the easiest mm-hmm. path, the path of least resistance. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to talk a good game about climate change. I'm going to talk a good game about immigrants. I'm going to talk a good game about uh, First Nations. Uh, I'm going to talk a, f- a good game about uh, you know, uh, protecting LGBT rights. I'm going to do all this stuff. And where those things are easy – like, you know, going internationally and making comments about climate change, like, you know, defending LGBT rights in a country that has already largely accepted this. He is great. He gets to be liked and he gets to do the easy thing, which mm-hmm. is that most people already agree with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time it's hard to do the thing that people want, he just puts a big smiley face on the easy thing to do, which which the majority of Canadians don't want. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 I think he has a serious narcissism problem. Um, however, that being said, this is the government we have, and we have to – You know, it's very easy for me. Believe me, it's extremely easy for me to sit here and complain all day. I've been doing it for nearly 10 years. Uh, we do have to work with the pieces we have on the board. So, Rob, that is what you do. Mm. Uh, I sit here and complain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try and make it funny, and mm-hmm. I try and get people to learn things in the process. You actually go and do things. Uh, I have about 14 minutes here, and I'm handing them directly to you. What is our horizon doing? Uh, to make this world a better place while I sit here and complain that it's not. (laughs) Um, So it would have been, it was early 2013 uh, that I launched this, this nonprofit uh, called Our Horizon. Um, uh, My background is I'm a lawyer, uh, I used to practice municipal law. And so that partly informed um, the level of of government at which we were focusing our our lobbying efforts. Um, And we started out by asking actually here in Toronto uh, our municipal government to pass a bylaw that would implement, that would require uh, climate change and air pollution uh, disclosure labels or warning labels on gas pump nozzles. And so um, they're somewhat evocative of, say, the tobacco labels, right? So picture on a gas pump, sometimes there's advertisements right on the gas pump nozzle. Imagine instead uh, on that spot uh, a little a little thing, an image, top half, uh, that communicates an impact of climate change and lower half, some text to go with that. And part of the thinking, of course, is um, a lot of the harms from burning fossil fuels actually aren't experienced until down the road. Or so there might be a temporal gap or even a geographical gap, right? I don't get this instant feedback that I would, unlike other things, where then, aha, now I'm going to adjust course, right? So there's this disconnect. And part of the thinking behind it is, of course, uh, is to facilitate connection, right? Bring those faraway consequences more into the here and now, take a problem um, of sort of diffuse origins and and kind of concentrate, locate responsibility in the palm of your hand. Because, of course, that's another piece of the problem, too, where we each contribute just a little bit to it. Collectively, our actions alter the chemistry of our planet. 
as individuals, though our contribution is small, so we don't actually feel that connected to the thing. So the idea, it, you know, if you break it down, it becomes this interesting way of addressing several of the reasons we fail to actually take on climate change in the, in the way that we should. Uh, we then ended up having some progress across the country where uh, councils from coast to coast, I was asking them to actually legislate this, but there were a lot of uh, concerns. Well, there's a compelling legal argument for municipal jurisdiction, you know, which municipality wanted to be the first to do it um, and actually take on that risk, right? So if if community A, for example, uh, did it and, and there was a legal precedent with certainty uh, on, on jurisdictional questions, I'm now community B, I get to look at this case and say, oh, look, there's a precedent. I now know that I have authority to do this. I need to relax. But community A is really incurring all the risk, right? Uh, so there was this reluctance to be the first the pivot that we made in uh, January of 2015 was um, we were at the municipality of, of West Vancouver in British Columbia, and, we, and their council was supportive of the concept. But again, same problem, didn't want to you know, be the first to pass it into law, didn't want to invite that fight, right? And, um, and so what they did was they passed this fairly innocuous resolution. It doesn't actually implement the thing, but it, it kind of gives it the thumbs up, and it, it calls on other orders of government to implement it. Then you started to see dozens of communities across Canada, because there was almost this pent-up demand from about two years' worth of advocacy, say, oh, that's something we can do. That's easy. There's no legal risk, financial risk, political risk, other than some trolls on Twitter that are irritable. They're they're probably Russians anyway. Yeah. And and by that, I mean agents of the Russian government not being racist to Russian people. Yeah. This all goes back to Trump in in some way. (laughs) I don't even. um, All right. Um, So so that then started to get some traction. And then you started to see these municipal associations, for example, uh, uh, the entire Union of British Columbia Municipalities, which is an association of cities and towns in BC, uh, basically the provincial equivalent to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, the FCM, for people that know that. Um, endorse this resolution at their annual conference. In that environment, then, uh, you had the municipality, uh, the city of North Vancouver, who kind of looked left, looked right, said, well, all of our colleagues are saying that this thing has merit, we should do it. We have a legal opinion that that makes for a compelling case of of how we can do it. We got a a firm in BC to, um, to vet our research on a pro bono basis. Um, and they came to the same conclusion. In-house counsel looked at it and uh, in, in North Van, and then it was in November of last year that they actually passed a bylaw to mandate these labels. That was a global first. That got um, headlines across across Canada, uh, even in other parts of the world. Um, let's, let's pause there really yeah. briefly and just say congratulations. Oh, thank you. By the way. <laughs> Cheers. Well done. Yeah, bit of a struggle, um, but, but a success. And what I've actually noticed about about this is the whole thing is about incrementalism. If if you go for your big ask, oftentimes decision makers are too conservative or too risk averse. And I like to say risk averse in the wrong way. I'm risk averse when it comes to climate change. I'm like, oh crap, that thing makes me anxious. Let's deal with that. I'm I'm not really all that risk averse with respect to a sticker, right? Mm. Like it's pretty... Well, it's, it's because you're weighing the relative risks, right? Exactly. So between those two risks, one of them has a you know rounding error next to zero <laughs> risk to you, and the other exactly. one has a very serious risk. It does. So that's risk analysis. It, uh, yeah, and so it, it makes perfect sense to me. Um, uh, so uh, the update is – so there's a couple of interesting updates. One, we actually – 
provoked industry then into coming together with a response to our campaign. So the Canadian Fuels Association, the Canadian Independent Petroleum Marketers Association, their membership includes all the the big names, Shell, Imperial, etc. And the Canadian Convenience Stores Association got together uh, to create something called smart fueling, which is it's 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 greenwash to the extreme. Um, go to smartfueling.ca just to see their logo is or, actually or don't. or don't yeah or don't <laughs> go for a laugh. Their logo is actually it's a car with with a, a green leaf coming out of its exhaust. Right. Um, all of, all of <laughs> it's absurd. It's absurd. All of the images are of nature. They're beautiful. They actually have some statistics on there that I think are quite misleading. It's classic greenwash. And what ended up happening, this is the discouraging part of the story, but of course, we're in the middle of the story that's still unfolding. The labels as I conceive of them are are intended to actually cause a little bit of discomfort. Like I fundamentally believe that market complacency does not lead to change, does not catalyze innovation from business, does not create, you know, as you put it, here we have a government that kind of wants to make people happy. If you can move people in a certain direction, that government then is going to follow because they want to please those people, right? So I'm trying to, to challenge the status quo, creates a broader sense of discomfort with it. I think that then leads to change. Um, industry, though, obviously recognizes that, uh, and they came out with a bit of a co-option campaign. Uh, so they're saying, well, instead of having those sorts of designs on pumps, let's have a picture of a tire, and it'll say something like, inflate your tire to recommended air pressure to save money on gas, right? And like, back to our conversation before, the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, looked at this problem called climate change, they didn't say, hey, you know what? We've studied this thoroughly. Turns out the world has been underinflating their tires. <laughs> no. <laughs> they said the problem is our combustion of fossil fuels. So it's a bit of a diversionary tactic. Uh, they don't want people to actually look at the real problem because then that challenges their core business. They want to create this false sense of, of comfort with these innocuous things that actually won't do much of anything. And so the the unfortunate thing is I think – they influenced uh, the labels uh, in a really, really big way to the point where um, it's it's effectively been co-opted in North Van. Uh, so what you see on pumps there are it's basically an industry-led design. Uh, the good news is I, th- I think it's pretty obvious. And so in our advocacy going forward, um, we're going to see people build on that. So much like North Van built on West Van's innocuous resolution, I expect to see some municipalities build on Yes, they passed this into law. They got the design wrong, but another community will get it right. And the other thing, unfortunately, uh, is I'd love to share news of the progress that we're making right now uh, at the municipal level in some communities and also at the provincial level. Um, But I can't because we know that on our mailing list, uh, we have oil and gas. We know that when I put out a tweet or a Facebook post, oh, I'm in this community. We've connected with these councillors. They're really interested in the thing. The very next day, they show up. Uh, and say, here's why you don't want to do it, or they'll introduce their co-option campaign. So the unfortunate thing is I've gone dark. <laughs> <laughs> I now lobby. I'm, I'm now a, a secret lobbyist. I'm, I'm that sort of shady character in a good way, working for good. Um, the good news is we've, we've made some progress, but I think it's just it's another hiccup on what, unfortunately, I think is, is a campaign that's been running way longer than it should. I would love to have seen more uptake, again, given the the gravity that is climate change and, and the relatively simple, inexpensive ask. Um, but I, th- I think we're going to get there. Just got to keep on plugging away at it. 
Yeah. Right. Well, I really appreciate the uh, the update, Robin. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, despite some uh, temporary setbacks there, mm. uh, thank you very much for all your hard work. And uh, uh, it, it certainly, I, I, w- I can tell you quantifiably that the work that Rob does takes considerable more time and effort than the work that I do. Uh, <laughs> I mostly just stream of consciousness complain a lot. Mm. So thank you very much for all that. Uh, I'd like we have a we have about a minute left in this segment, maybe two. Uh, and I'd like to use it because we're gonna we're gonna get right back to news for the final segment here on the Green Majority. Um, just to comment on perhaps that idea of uh, inc- inc- bleh, incrementalism mm. uh, within this sort of current political climate, where uh, it, it seemed to be that you you at least tentatively agree with my analysis that that there's a lot more concern from our current government on the appearance of progress than an actual lineup to actual progress. Um, you know, mm. I think what you were doing uh, potentially uh, has been slowed down. I'm wondering if you agree has been slowed down because of this great PR campaign around progress that the Trudeau government has been doing. If you feel that that has in any way hindered you or helped you, mm. or what impact do you think that might have had versus when you were doing doing this while Harper was in charge? Well, I have had some councillors say to me, "Well, the good news is now we've got a progressive government on this on this issue." Um, and they've actually then used that as an excuse to kind of shirk their responsibility. So we're not going to look at this. The good news is maybe there's there's another government in power now that will, right? Uh, so so that's discouraging. I think fundamentally it comes down to this. This is a line I'll never forget. There was a, a counselor who I gave him the uh, in Toronto. I gave him the 60-second, here's what I'm up to, here's the thinking behind it. His response, it was so beautiful, so transparent. It was, but people don't want to see that. And I think that captures two things. One yeah, that's kind of why we need this intervention. Like, that's the point. I think as long as we sort of don't look at it, you know, smokers, we're not going to deal with it. Smokers don't want to see cancer, cancerous lung pictures on their cigarettes either. Exactly. The other thing about it, though, is it captures why it'll take a certain type of politician to do that. Because if he's in the business of pleasing his constituents, right, the sort of I want to make everyone happy piece, oh, do I want to make my constituents a little uncomfortable? Do I want to be associated with this, right? It takes a certain kind of leadership um, to to create the the important the necessary but uncomfortable conversations that we need to have to then transition to something more sustainable um, and and my concern is we might not have that in in government right now uh, but that's your line not mine <laughs> <laughs> all right so why do I certainly have more salt to to uh, dispense but we are at, at the uh, pre-approved government regulated uh, second uh, music break portion in the show uh, so I will uh, I will seed. My further comments on this particular topic, uh, we'll come back with uh, some more international news. I'm going to mention Obama uh, really quickly here as well as India in the final segment of the show. You're listening to The Green Majority uh, here on CIUT 89.5 and on our wonderful uh, and very appreciated uh, uh, international radio sponsors uh, as well as our – and by sponsor, I mean they play our program, not they give us money, just to be clear. Uh, Also, our dear friends over at Rabble.ca who also host our podcast as well. Uh, We also – have a bonus extended version of the show which is only available on our version of the podcast which you can do at uh, either on iTunes uh, you can find the iTunes link uh, as well on our website uh, at greenmajority.ca also a great way to contact us you can find out more about the show you can go and listen to back episodes they're all posted there as streaming uh, files so you don't need to download anything it's uh, it's also newly uh, made very pretty by Stefan uh, uh, Stefan's hard work as well so very much appreciated to him uh, I'm also in studio as a reminder with Rob Shirky from Our Horizon which we will be back in just a minute after a music break to uh, discuss some of that uh, aforementioned international news. However, Neil, please let us know what we're going to listen to. Yeah, our second song is a... 
All right, we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kester, sitting in studio with Rob Shirky this week, uh, who's uh, uh, creating some much-needed levity. Speaking of levity, Rob, you're going to be joining us for the bonus show as well, mm-hmm. and uh, I hear you have something that might resemble a joke. Uh I think it has all of the requisite elements of, of a joke. <laughs> That's what I like to hear is that yeah. a, a joke I'm about to be told has all the requisite <laughs> elements of a joke. Uh, so we'll, we'll have that in the bonus show. Also, as a quick tease this week, um, uh, we're going to be doing a little bit of the feels. Uh, I, I'm uh, contrary to popular opinion, uh, har har, uh, very emotional person. Usually that emotion is frustration and irritation. Uh, a little bit of a different tack this week because I, I was a bit personally struck. Uh, again, I don't uh, talk about it often uh, on the show, but uh, any of you who listen to the bonus show know that I was recently off the show, unfortunately, due because I had uh, I, I actually had cancer. Uh, I've since had surgery and I'm fine. Uh, but I was a little bit emotionally struck this morning when I was looking for news and I saw an, a news article about tattoo ink being completely unregulated uh, and and to be known to be full of cancer causing uh, uh, ingredients uh, I am someone who has multiple tattoos so we're going to talk a little mm. bit about that Rob's joke uh, and potentially some horticulture humor as well in the bonus show so stay tuned for that uh, getting down to the international news here uh Rob, uh, I, I know you were looking through some news stories as well, so uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to throw to you in a minute perhaps to either comment on this one or to pivot to something else you'd like to talk to uh, because this is as far as we got in our in our planning for this show. <laughs> we're winging it. We're, we're fully winging it from this point out. Uh, so uh, I, I want to mention Obama a little bit because he's, mm-hmm. uh, his climate plan is, is potentially in jeopardy. It's in court as well. He's suddenly just – you know, now that he's on his way out, you know, and it's very typical uh, American presidents will sort of in in the during the election when they're when they're on the way out, especially if they've had a second. Uh, obviously, if they've had a second term, they where they can't be reelected, they they suddenly get all uh, emotional mm. and start doing all these things yeah. they would have never dreamed of doing. And and uh, Obama seems to want to go out on the note of being a real climate champion. And and while it pains me to do so because I feel like it really would have been nice to do a lot mm. more while he had a lot more authority. Um, he is at least making it an issue and to the extent that neither of the actual running candidates are. Uh, and so we can talk about that. Maybe we can even bump some of that to the Mona show as well, but we'll get to that. But first, I want to just mention briefly and then, Rob, you can either make a comment or pivot to a story mm. that you'd wanted to talk about, uh, which was just the to continue to update our, the fact that uh, – the Paris uh, climate agreements are now still rolling forward about being put into effect. India has now announced it will join, uh, that it will, in fact, ratify the Paris climate agreement, which, unless I missed a news story this week, Canada has still not done. Am I wrong? Canada still hasn't joined. I don't think we have. I think we've been talking about doing it, though, but I think we, I don't think we actually have done it. Yeah, so see yeah. the entire rest of the program up to this point for my thoughts on that. Mm. Uh, <laughs> I feel like we've already beaten that dead horse, and now it's just really, really ugly. Um, so uh, this is really important. India, of course, being a, uh, a very large company, very uh, company country, uh, very populated country, um, you know, not at the forefront uh, of development, but a massive, massive uh, uh, just impact on climate, just simply due to their, due, just due to the population and the fact that they are rapidly, rapidly mm-hmm. uh, developing now. So, if mm-hmm. anything, uh, them joining may, in fact, in some ways, have a bigger impact than Canada joining. Uh, just not, not necessarily in curtailing current emissions, although to some degree it's that. But also, I think more importantly, curtailing potential future emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this is this is maybe something we can comment on really quickly if you want, which is just the idea that these are sort of some of those opportunities in addition to countries. Sort of, you know, scaling back where they're at or making a pivot. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
these opportunities to well you know certainly like every other one of these topics it would have been better to do even earlier um, would be you know countries that are rapidly developing like China and India uh, Brazil uh, have, they have money to throw around their populations aren't necessarily super rich but there's enough tax base that the governments have money they can do things mm-hmm. um, and sort of heading them off at the past before they repeat all our, our mistakes. Um, I think we're really going to be talking a lot about India over the next little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, I threw like six possible bones there. Yeah. You can pick one of them up <laughs> or you can pivot to another story. Well, uh, one of the interesting things uh, that hopefully might very well happen in India is this idea of leapfrogging over certain technologies, right? So the classic one, uh, the go-to example is uh, uh, in a lot of places in Africa, uh, the telecommunications infrastructure wasn't there. Next thing you know, cell phones come online, right? And uh, went straight to cell phones, right? So didn't have the need to build all these sort of, you know, lines that we have uh, in Canada that we always see, you know, side of the road. Um, So maybe potentially could... India's signal to to move in a more sustainable direction, Uh, maybe they're doubling down on things like solar. I mean, I don't have any stats in front of me, uh, but I know that they're, they're, you know, building solar panels in a really, really big way. Um, Potentially, they could leapfrog, uh, you know, from a dirtier technology, kind of skip over um, some of that anyway, uh, uh, to, to cleaner technology. So maybe that is cause for optimism. One of the things I have to say, though, while we're sort of looking at the articles that uh, that we read in preparation for this, that caught my attention was uh, the headline from The Guardian, the world passes 400 parts per million uh, carbon dioxide threshold permanently. Um, and that was one that I think got me because I think it's, it's, it's this almost psychological barrier, right? Like 400. Um, you know, and, and then, of course, the scientist that was interviewed was saying that we probably in our lifetime won't dip below that. Uh, I found that disheartening, mm-hmm. you know. I found that, um, yeah, th- th- there's something about that number, right? Um, I-, I think maybe one thing that we as advocates in the environment- environmental sector can do is let's use that in in our communications. Like, oh, my goodness, we've reached this threshold. We may, we may never go back. Um, if that doesn't create a sense of urgency among decision makers, I mean – Right. I, I don't know what will. Right. So leverage that. It's bad news, but leverage it in our advocacy to move things forward. The other thing, of course, that I thought was really interesting is normally it is this time of year where in the northern hemisphere over the course of the summer, plants have soaked up a lot of CO2. So you're on this downward. It's a seesaw thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're on this downward trajectory. And so the very fact that when we should be at the bottom, uh, you know, so a lower number, we're actually at 400 now. So that means that perhaps we will never go um, below. But I had this little moment. I'm like, oh, God. Is some climate denier is going to read this article and say, wait a second, are you telling me that from the spring to the summer, CO2 actually went down? <laughs> like like their timeline is this seasonal dip and we've got nothing to worry about. Um, anyway, so I thought that was a, a funny which, take, which is Which is sort of like saying, you know, if, uh, if someone hasn't eaten in a month and you give them a meal, you say, look, they're not hungry. Uh, <laughs> therefore, yeah. problem yeah. solved. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Um, like, well, uh, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're they're in fact going to need nutrition every day. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, and that was sort of thank you for throwing in another news article there. Mm. Of course, that's another headline for this week. We did officially pass four hundred parts per million. Mm. Uh, let terror uh, ensue. Um, 
And, but one of the other interesting things I want to note about the, the – the, I think the last thing I want to note just about the uh, the India announcing it will ratify mm-hmm. was uh, this Huffington Post article was good at mentioning, of course, for context that you know at the beginning of the talks uh, years ago, uh, India was uh, in fact uh, very much considered a villain. They were mm-hmm. – uh, and so they have uh, stepped up their game. Uh, a country that is very much developing that has a way, way, way higher problem with, uh, you know, access to resources and poverty in their country than mm-hmm. Canada does. Uh, they are now continuing to embarrass the Trudeau government by stepping up to the plate. Yeah. Uh, they could have gone farther, uh, but mm-hmm. they've done something and we have not. And that's yeah. that's unfortunately where the facts stop at today, mm-hmm, where it mm-hmm. is right now. Uh, they have brought it up. We need uh, – what is the number? We need 55 countries that represent at least 55 percent of the world's emissions. Uh, for this to stick, 61 countries have fulfilled the first condition according to the World Resources Institute tracker. Um, but this has only gotten up near uh, just shy of 48 percent of mm. the total emissions. With India, this increases it to 51.9 roughly. Uh, and another 13 countries have promised to ratify it by the end of the year. So assuming that happens, we will have the Paris Climate Agreement, um, which I think without getting back into it, I'll just briefly say, again, puts the onus back on – uh, Trudeau, mm-hmm. if this, if you believe that this is where yeah. the world is going, okay. So, like, here's a quick argument that Trudeau could make. Hey, okay, we have this money uh, right now. We need money. Um, the only argument you could possibly make to not just make him a liar mm-hmm. is that, okay, well, look, we don't have any choice. We have all these resources. It's money in the bank. Mm-hmm, We're mm-hmm. Go- we have to use that to do this thing that you want me to do. Mm-hmm. But notice he never says that, right? Yeah. It, that's a very easy argument to make, and it's a very easy argument to make that I think would that would probably dissuade maybe a quarter of of his violent, you know, environmentalist opposition mm. because the rest of them wouldn't buy it. Not, mm-hmm. I would, but it would it would definitely create some division in the opposition to his thing to say. Look, we have no choice. These are the cards we were dealt, mm-hmm. which is a line I've heard repeatedly by people defending the oil industry. Look, this you know we just we got lucky. Don't be unhappy about it. Uh, the 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 very uh, acclaimed uh, Mir Neshi uh, loves to mm. say this. Hey, you know, don't complain. We got dealt a good hand. Sure, we're gonna have to be smart about how we play it, but you know, it's not a bad thing that we have all these resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, to which I say mm. you're wrong, but. Um, uh, it's just a very tempting bad thing to have, mm-hmm. you know. But but anyway, but mm-hmm. it's like, but what you could do if you were serious, you could say, look, okay, you know, this we have to do this to raise the money, but we're going to use this money to then leapfrog ourselves. Yeah, and they're not doing that. And what I'm worried about, what I'm honestly, genuinely concerned about, and I'm not just being salty here, um, I'm really concerned that we go ahead, we build all these projects, we don't use that money mm-hmm. to build mm-hmm. this next thing, and then all of a sudden. India now is running, you know, 85% off renewable energy power mm-hmm. through all these deals and all this carbon cutting. Their bills go down. They have way more money now because mm-hmm. they, they make all these investments and then their costs, you know, go way, way, way down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're left holding the bag. And what yeah. do we have to show for it? The all of Can- what could ha- what happened to Alberta could very easily and I, I would say will happen to the rest yeah. of Canada. And he's not even making that argument, even if he was lying. Yeah. He's not even making that argument. And, and that really scares me. But we, we don't need to necessarily get back into that. Let's, let's use five minutes to talk mm. about a different leader who's mm-hmm. been talking a good game recently, uh, Obama. Mm. So there's a brief thing here. We don't have time to get into it, but I'll just mention it for context. Uh, Obama's clean energy legacy is uh, – this is an article from The Guardian. Uh, Obama's clean energy legacy is at stake as clean power plan is in, currently in court. Uh, there's a number of states that are, uh, that are trying to basically gut um, his sort of last great climate policy here as he heads out the door. But what I'm more interested in getting your sort of final thoughts on here, Rob, are uh, the idea that uh, – is just sort of the fact that you know Obama – 
you know, who, who's considered by, I think, about 50% of Americans to be a super extreme liberal. Mm. And those are the people that don't like him. Mm-hmm. And then the rest of the country is sort of a moderate centrist mm-hmm. uh, who, you know, is on the right side of some issues that are kind of inarguable if you look at the facts and is otherwise sort of, you know, somewhere in the middle, mm. uh, which is the camp I'm in. Um, but, you know, suddenly using this, well, the election's about to happen. Um, so I'm now, and this happens, Bush did this. Bush actually did a bunch of good things mm-hmm, in his last, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. four months. Mm. Uh, a bunch of really good things. Uh, yeah. A bunch of things that even progressives were like, okay, credit where credit is due. That was decent. Yeah. You know, this is sort of a tradition in American politics that you, you know, you're suddenly a decent human being for the last four months of your presidency. Mm. And I think partially that's because they are no to a certain degree they've that they've sort of caved to the you know they've done a bunch of things that make yeah. it hard for them to sleep at night yeah and they're like okay i'm on my way out this is my last chance to sort of end on a high note yeah um which is a bit huh. of an indictment of american politics but they don't need my help to be indicted um but just to, just that comment so let's let's take them at face value mm-hmm. um let's skip all the cynicism let's skip all the american political analysis let's even skip the american mm-hmm. election let's not talk about trump or, yeah. or hillary or anybody else do you think that Obama, who still maintains very high approval ratings, mm-hmm. is a very popular leader mm-hmm. to uh, a vast majority, I would say, uh, well, based on analysis of mm-hmm. Americans, internationally fairly well-liked, unless you live in a country that he's currently bombing. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that this will create real impact? Three minutes, Rob. I'm optimistic. Surprise, surprise. Um I think that there are a variety of constraints uh, that one faces when they're in that office. As president of the United States, there's so many interests that you have to balance where even if there's something you want to do, you have a certain agenda that you want to execute, uh, you might not be able to, right? Whereas when he's free of office and all of those constraints, uh, if and, and my sense is that he is genuinely concerned about climate change. He gets it. He wants to do something about it. Uh, maybe in some way he might even be more effective, uh, outside of office and the fact that as you say you know internationally he's well liked uh, i remember when he spoke at the house of commons here uh in in canada he got a standing o right like, like across the spectrum everyone was out of their their seats and imagine if someone like him then devotes his life all of his social capital that he may have accumulated his po- popularity and so on to to trying to address this challenge um, I think he might be be quite effective. One of the things that I think about, though, is it's this interesting – there's a deadline that he now faces. He only has so many months in office. So it's this, okay, there's maybe some things that I've wanted to do that I couldn't do for whatever reason. Now I'm feeling like I want to do it, maybe partly because uh, I'm feeling a little dirty for, for some <laughs> of the things that you know might not have, have been the greatest. Um, but I think we can perhaps all relate. I remember I lived in – I went to school in Victoria, British Columbia for three years. And it was a couple of weeks after I was – excuse me. Uh, so I finished school and I was living in town for a couple more weeks. I'm like, oh, my goodness. There's so many things I haven't yet done in Victoria. I need to do them. And I became this tourist, right? Um, and when I think about climate change, right, it's one of these things where the really big serious impacts – are kind of down the road. And by then, it's almost too late to deal with the problem. So procrastination can work for some exam where you can cram last minute and, okay, so maybe I didn't get that A. Who cares? This is a challenge that we really – we can't cram. That's not an option, right? Uh, and, and that's what I'm trying to do anyway because I'm going to tie it all back to me <laughs> with this project, right? We need to bring those faraway consequences more into the here now. 
to create greater impetus to address the challenge while we still can. All right. Thank you so much, Rob Shirky. He's joining me on the bonus show. Go to greenmajority.ca to download the podcast to hear that. We're going to talk about uh, a number of issues as well, but it's basically more Rob. That's why you should listen. Thank you for listening to this week's edition of The Green Majority. We're here on CIUT, and you can find us at greenmajority.ca. Have a good Green Week, folks. Thanks for listening, and take care. That's it for the regular edition of this week's Green Majority program. We're now going to transition to our bonus show, which I think this week largely speaks for itself. We do, uh, in fact, and it's not my fault. Don't blame me. Rob brings it up. We play Carl Sagan's Play Blue Dot yet again. But I never, ever get tired of that clip. So the only other thing I'll say is if you do appreciate our program, you, you help support what we do, you can support us financially for as little as a dollar a month. Rob, in fact, himself is a member of the Green Majority. Uh, you can uh, help us with our program by going to greenmajority.ca or going to patron directly at patreon.com slash greenmajority. Okay, welcome to uh, this uh, September 30th edition of our bonus show. I am, uh, I'm assuming you are listened to the rest of the program first. You would know that Rob Shirky is our guest this week from Our Horizon. Thank you uh, for joining me also in the bonus show, Rob. Mm-hmm. So we're going to um, – uh, I'm going to start with a, with a personal story and then we'll just sort of see where it takes us uh, for our allotted 15 minutes or so uh, as I was just uh, 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 recounting to you because it's been a while since you've been on sort of the intent of the bonus show is just to sort of take uh, usually more a bit of a personal look. So I have an intensely personal look this week, which is that it was my – uh, emotional, uh, my emotional first and then uh, intellectual second reaction to a news story this week uh, based on my personal recent history, of course, which uh, uh, which I mentioned briefly on the show and I mentioned briefly in, in previous uh, podcasts uh, in the previous bonus shows uh, was my recent uh, stint with and now, uh, as far as we can tell, completely uh, slow but effective recovery from having had intestinal cancer. Um, to just sort of coming up to my my guardian doing my news flip through i I cycle through and probably a dozen or 15 different websites looking for news stories each week one of them is a guardian environment section and to see an article with a big title on it saying uh tattooing contains uh known to contain toxic cancer-causing chemicals uh and yet uh, at least in the in the u.s uh is uh unregulated in any way Uh, so my emotional reaction first of course was uh, I think fairly predictable, which was shit. <laughs> um, you know, there there's absolutely no way to draw any definitive correlation, uh, but I do happen to have a number of tattoos. One of them happens to be quite large. Uh, uh, and... But there was still a there was still an, an immediate, like, oh, crap, I wonder... You know, very predictable. Oh, crap, I wonder if that was the thing, right? Um, it's almost certainly not. And I say that not because I don't believe that there's cancer causing chemicals in that, but just because as my, you know, my, as my emotional brain sort of rolled over to my intellectual brain, uh, I realized that, uh, as, uh, John Oliver did an excellent job on a recent, uh, episode of last week tonight, uh, basically everything causes cancer. <laughs> and so, you know, linking it to this or that, mm-hmm. um, is somewhat pointless, uh, and at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because, you know, e- e- whether or not I had tattoos, there's a billion other things that could have given me cancer. So and there's no way to, to say that that was the thing. Uh, I would say that it taken in concert with all the other things that living in a big city can do, uh, uh, all the unregulated unre- stuff we can do. Um, it's pr- it probably was not a f- 
It probably not was a significant factor, just statistically speaking. But who's to say? Mm-hmm. Uh, it could have been the sole cause. Uh, there's no way to know. But uh, it, it did make me think as, a, as my emotional rolled into my intellectual brain, uh, just sort of get me mad again and not mad about, you know, how dare they not regulate tattoo ink or how dare they, you know, this or that. It was that, you know, it's the, it was sort of that thing. It was that thing of like, well, everything causes cancer. Mm. And it made me think because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of chronically a, a big picture person um, just to be that like, how do, how do we get this problem? And the problem is, is that we've put the onus on, um, you know, essentially the, the assumption is uh, consumers are aware of the risks of the things that they do. Therefore, it's their fault. Therefore, it's okay that we put things that do bad things in there or uh, cleaning chemicals that are, you know, sold uh, as safe because, well, you're not supposed to spray it in your mouth. So therefore, we're not going to test to see if it is safe to spray in your mouth. Uh, and if you do, it's your fault rather than taking into the reality that kids get holds of things or uh, that particulate matter hangs in the air. And that mm. when you're spraying some cleaner on, on your wall, that you're almost certainly going to be breathing it in, even though they don't test for that because you're not supposed to spray it in your mouth, even though it's going to get in your mouth if you use it. And and it just sort of it's it seems to me to be even more an overwhelming problem than climate change, not necessarily more serious, but a, certainly a, a more overwhelming one. Um, because, you know, climate change is sort of like, you know, our, our current economy is geared onto this carbon intensive um, track, but there's a path off it, right? We, we know alternatives. It's simply a matter of getting people onto those alternatives. Um, and well, you, I mean, you could fairly say that, you know, there's alternatives to all these products too, but at, at its core, it's really like the the entire at the at its most foundational level, the entire sort of commerce system is based on, on on this idea that if I produce a good, all I have to do is demonstrate plausible deniability that someone would use this in a way that could potentially harm mm-hmm. them, and that and that if it meets that pathetic threshold, it can then be sold. Combined with the assumption that. Uh, well, somebody somewhere's job is to make sure this isn't going to harm me too bad. So it's probably safe because if it wasn't safe, they wouldn't sell it. And, uh, and, and I find that particular problem extremely overwhelming, but I would like to now, uh, invite Rob to join this conversation with how, how did anything I just say make you feel? Well, a few reactions, one of which of course, you know, the classic, the thing that I sell or manufacture, so long as it it doesn't exceed some minimum threshold, you know, of risk or potential harm. Uh, okay, that's fine. But none of these things work in isolation of each other, right? right? And we live in an environment where we're exposed to so much collectively, um, you know, like one, so how can you attribute uh, any any cancer or any other illness for that matter to one particular thing? It, it can be challenging. Um But two, it's hard to escape, like unless if you're wanting to move out into the middle of nowhere in the woods, right? And even then, you know, some people that are living in some very remote areas, their water gets poisoned because of some mine out in the middle of nowhere that's, you know. So a lot of this stuff is inescapable. One of the things that I actually frustrates me to no end is the fact that just by virtue of existing, just as soon as I pop out my front door and walk on the sidewalk – there, there's these vehicles with oftentimes it's absurd in terms, you know, from a design perspective, oftentimes tailpipes are curved to the right, which is it's basically pointed right at the pedestrian on that sidewalk or that cyclist. And, and we're inhaling this stuff. And one of my things that I go on and on about in my work is this 
this thing is so completely normalized, right? I don't even I don't even question it because it's just it's all I've ever known, right? And and that's what I'm trying to challenge. It's almost like a bit of a you want to grab someone by the shoulders and shake them and maybe slap them across the face a couple of times and like wake up. This is not cool. Um, and what really really bothers me is uh, you know I I try to engage municipal government and other orders of government too. Some councillors, some some MPPs, MPs are more open to having a conversation than others. Uh, there's a few politicians, though, that I have a really hard time just having that meeting with, right? Like they won't commit to taking 10 minutes to sit down and let me explain this thing to you, right? And I find that so frustrating. I can think of so many mornings where I pop out of the subway at Bathurst and Bloor near the Center for Social Innovation, walk that little stretch, and I can smell the the air. I can smell the exhaust in the air. And I'm like, I, I have no choice but to be exposed to this just by virtue of existing. And what's so incredibly frustrating is the people who are in positions of power who who can affect decisions that actually will have, have the potential to change some of this stuff uh, if they're not even willing to take a meeting, right? Like that that really gets me. That really frustrates me. You know, and then big picture too um, – here I am in this work, and we've been over this before, the ask is relatively small, right? If you were to rank order how onerous or how interventionist or how restrictive, you know, my ask is, I'm not saying do not build that massive project. I'm not saying do not build that pipeline to connect, a, you know, this extraction, this extractive industry to some refinery or whatever. I'm saying it's a sticker, right? Like, it's so bloody easy. The ask is so small, and yet there's such an aversion uh, to like some decision makers, just things that might potentially make people a little less comfortable. Um, yeah, it's, it, it, it can be frustrating. And maybe so one of the, you know, on the um, idea of, of sharing something a little more personal, it's funny, I'm now approaching, uh, it, it would have been January 2013 that I launched this thing. So we're approaching four years, right? And, and I could have taken one pathway you know, I, I had a legal practice that was starting to grow. And like, where where might it have been, <laughs> right? In some alternate universe, right, four years from now. Maybe I have some, uh, you know, debt-free. I, I used to actually not be in debt. Now I'm in debt because of this work. Like, there's another trajectory that I could have taken. But the funny thing is, when I think of, like, the opportunity cost of doing this work and where I might be, uh, I think about, well, what's the opportunity cost of not doing this work, right? Like, how can we not... This is this is one of the greatest challenges of our time, right? And uh, this this video that I happened to watch from our launch event. So four years ago at this launch event, I was asked to then like, all right, give us like I didn't prepare a speech, but I gave the spontaneous thing. Someone captured on their phone. They sent it to me, and I said a few uh, comments on it. Where I'm like, oh, I don't think I could put that on the internet, right? But so I've got this little private video from our launch. And and this is one of the reasons why, and hopefully this resonates um, with some some listeners, why I think we can't help but continue this work. It was a few months before I, I launched the thing. I was doing some research on why this idea might be compelling uh, from an economics perspective, right? And how it's a sort of qualitative way of communicating externalities to market and how we might actually respond to, to it in a unique way that we might not actually respond to pricing mechanisms. And I'm looking at this, you know, Adam Smith's work, and it's this really narrow space that I'm in. And I got a text from a friend, 
John, who who he said our, our mutual friends Armin and Lisa, they just had their baby, their first child. Right, my office at the time、um, was not that far from St. Mike's Hospital, and so I texted them,、uh, Armin and Lisa. I'm like, hey, congratulations! I'm right around the corner. Can I visit? Right, and they said sure. So I found myself at St. Mike's, entering this room where I see Armin. First thing, my my you know really good friend since high school, and his his beautiful partner Lisa, who's now resting. She had just given birth,、um, and then I kind of look so to the right corner of the room, and there's this tiny, tiny little baby, right? Like not even twenty four hours old, fresh to the world. Later, then Armin's parents came in to to see the baby, and and we decided to give、um, Lisa and and Lucine is the baby's name, you know, just some space. And we're now all in the hallway, and we're chatting about life and 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 all sorts of things. And Armin's parents, at the time, I'm guessing they were in their in their late sixties, say.、Uh, at the time, I was in my early thirties. Now I'm you know getting into the later thirties. Same with Armin, and then there was this. Fresh to the world creature in the room, and I had this moment where I kind of this is like a bit of a you know the hippie Rob coming through, but I kind of felt like I saw everything in a weird way where I understood. Oh my goodness, here we are, you know, on this rock where everything that we've ever known and loved and valued you know has has unfolded. And Carl Sagan puts this you know way better than I ever can, you know, the, the pale blue dot thing, right? And And I, I had the sense, okay, so they're at the tail end of their experience. Armin's parents on this rock. We're now at the middle sort of point of our experience, kind of moving along on this rock. And here's this this little tiny creature who she's at the beginning of her experience on this rock. And I definitely then felt this. Oh my goodness, we hold this place in trust,、um, and and it's incumbent on us to make the decisions today、uh, to ensure that. Lucine has a, has a different future, one than you know the trajectory that we're currently on, and and I hope I don't get this wrong, but but I do remember thinking of this First Nations proverb. It's this idea that you know we don't inherit the earth from our ancestors; we borrow it from our children, from our grandchildren. And、um, so when I say to myself, "My goodness, am I frustrated? I am." You know, four years worth of advocacy. What else could I have been doing with this time?、Um, I'm like, we can't not. Do this work, right? It's incumbent on us to do this sort of work.、Uh, so, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of activists. This will probably resonate. It's it's challenging. It's frustrating. We can get tired,、uh, but I think the work that we're all doing collectively is is important. It's necessary, and we we need to keep it up. Yeah. So, so I'm not I'm not tapping out. <laughs> not not yet. Yeah. So, yeah, and and、uh, you know, to apologize to to anyone that's that's going to roll their eyes now,、um, mm. uh, Rob, you cue, you cued me on on one my favorite clip from Carl Sagan ever,、mm. and so、uh, mm-hmm. I, I've just decided now because because you brought it up, not me for once,、mm. uh, we're going to go out to that clip. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it is, and I've played it on the show about a dozen times by now. Some people may even be rolling their eyes and preparing to turn the podcast off. We're not there just yet, but we're going to go out on it、uh, because it is, in fact, the most meaningful three and a half minutes、yeah. uh, of poetry, really,、uh, ever. To the point that, speaking of tattoos, to bring us full circle,、mm. I have a tattoo of a line from this poem on my arm. That's where that's where the the quote on my arm comes from. The the tattoo on my arm reads, "So the universe can know itself."、Yeah. It's of course slightly paraphrased、yeah. from the the so that,、uh, we're all made of star stuff,、yeah. so that the cosmos can know itself.、Mm-hmm. Um, from that very thing, and so、uh, just briefly before we get to that, I,、uh, one final、uh, I think micro topic here、uh, is just that idea that that's sort of where you know when we talk about things like. 
uh, all the pollution, like just the core at the very, very foundational level at where some of these problems are that, that work their way up um, to create these sort of more obvious problems like, you know, cancer causing chemicals mm. in tattoos. I say, OK, well, you could regulate tattoo ink. Or you could change the laws for corporations to change the the the, uh, the onus on them to demonstrate that their products are yeah. safe rather than uh, until someone proves that they're not, right? That's a foundational change. Yeah. And so we've been talking a little bit about incrementalism. You, of mm. course, uh, have devoted your, your career at this point uh, and your activism uh, uh, sort of tied into one on this sort of on the back of sort of incrementalism and and i sort of wanted to because you know some longtime listeners now maybe maybe wondering like oh is, you know when is when is darren gonna uh you know be sarcastic about incrementalism but it's it, it's not it's just that like i i view things sort of whether i like it or not chronically any longtime listener of the show knows that i i sort of can't help but think about that stuff from hmm. foundational stuff and and so for me i i get it's it's not that i disapprove of incrementalism obviously or you wouldn't be on the show right now um <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, you would, but you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, we we probably wouldn't be so close friends anyway. Yeah. Um, but it's it's just that, like, for me, I just get I get irritated. I get I get anxious because I have this opinion about where I think we need to be. Yeah. And and I while I think that you know things like putting labels on gas pumps is an excellent idea yeah. and will help do that. I, I used to not understand how that, and and you know I won't retell the story, but this sure. story goes back to the story about the first time that we ever met that I've told yeah. on the show before. Yeah. About how where I just I have trouble seeing, I, or I used to have trouble seeing how mm. uh, where incrementalism type things can can lead to where I you know my opinion of where mm-hmm. I think we need mm-hmm. to be to really nip this sort of problem in the bud, and where I've sort of evolved to now as far as my own personal thinking is that we do still need those more core fundamental changes. Yeah. But. There's, a, but it requires a leap, and yeah. and the work that you're doing is sort of, you know, it may be a footstep at a time, mm-hmm. but you're narrowing how big that leap needs to be, mm-hmm. and at some point there will need to be a lurch. At, at yeah. some point we will need to, you know, not just pass laws to put nozzles on gas pumps, but you know, make laws, you know. I well, I could go on for quite some time about these ideas that I think ninety eight percent of the country would like go whoa that's way too progressive for me like capping the maximum income for any individual corporation or any individual at a million dollars stuff like that like maximum incomes paired mm. with use that to fund minimum income mm-hmm, so that nobody mm-hmm. ever lives in poverty ever again anywhere in the world those types of the, those are the types of changes I think we need mm-hmm. but I think by not only the work that you do sort of helps make the leap to where I think we need to be eventually and as soon as possible that you're making that gap smaller, thereby Mm -hmm. making that leap easier. But it's also, it's also making people think to go, okay, well, maybe someone else goes, you know, someone who's never thought about this before goes, okay, well, that's just a small solution to this problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it kind of has a point that there is a problem, but Mm -hmm. I sort of see that it doesn't completely solve the problem. What else do we need to do? And it gets them thinking about, it gets them thinking on their own about, Maybe we need more fundamental change. Yeah. And so I think it has two things. You're both the work that you're doing both sort of narrows that gap, but I think you're also in a lot of ways priming people to discover for themselves those more fundamental required changes. And I and I think that's actually the objective. Um there was a, a a journal article I read in Bioscience put out by a bunch of profs at Stanford from a variety of, of disciplines, and they were all re- leaders in their field, and and they spoke to uh, they actually mentioned, come to think of it, our concept in their in their journal article, uh, alongside a few others. And the conclusion of the article was essentially l- little pieces, like the thing that I'm up to, create more space for other reforms. Right? 
And and the objective here is is simply in making this problem more real, more tangible, and so on. It's not in itself a solution, right? Um, but what it does is it is it it stimulates broader demand for these other places that we need to go, right? Um, and and I think there is value. Like incrementalism is one approach, and there is value to it. But but I think you also do need uh, people uh, and groups. Uh, environmental groups and different, you know, social activist groups uh, that are throwing out these ideas and are advocating for ideas that might be seen by the mainstream as way radical, right? I think what that does then is it extends kind of the boundaries of the conversation a little bit further uh, and then actually then might make interventions like mine uh, a little more palatable, right? Because, well, when you contrast that to this crazy radical fringe type intervention, whatever it might be. You're welcome. <laughs> thank you, sincerely. You know, then, then oh, well, this is a little more reasonable, right? Um, yeah, and, and so it is important to have. It's it's funny how it just more space then is created. And if you don't have people pushing at the boundaries, uh, the scope of the conversation is going to be so much more narrow. And then that little ask, that little incrementalism piece relative relatively speaking like maybe that then is seen as radical right um but yeah i fundamentally agree with you like it's absurd that the onus isn't on that business that's making the thing that they have to prove that i don't know this is actually safe before before putting it out there right like yeah we do need there is a fundamental shift that we need to undertake you know before we end up in this quote unquote whatever that word sustainable means you know going back to our, our conversation earlier um, there's there's a lot of work to be done, and you know maybe maybe just to kind of bring it back to what I was saying before, I think the advocacy that we're all doing uh, is important because it helps advance us you know towards that end, and it all works in concert with each other. Sometimes I'm guilty of, I think everyone in the environmental movement is guilty of actually doing this, where we look at some work that our colleagues are doing and we we kind of criticize it, right, or we we pick it apart and say, well this this other thing is more effective and. You know, I think I think a more honest thing is it's all kind of going to the same place and they all have a role to play. It's not that one thing is better than than another. Um, they all kind of work in in concert with each other. Um, yeah. So so maybe my reflection for the day is it's important that, that we keep up this work. And I will also say I'm very happy that, that you're doing well. I remember when you shared this news with me a little while ago, it was uh, it was scary. And so I'm very happy that you're doing well. Yeah. All right. So let's uh, let's do that, and and I think sort of I will I'll frame this this time because I always try and put the same clip in a slightly different framing. The framing for this for this time will be, you know, some of the uh, pushback, especially if you uh, either watch Fox News or watch left wing internet uh, independent media that c- comments on Fox News, the sort of standard idiot Republican uh, response is, "Oh, you just want handouts. You want things for free." Mm-hmm. Um, and well, first of my for one of my responses could be, what do you think all the corporations are doing? They want things for free. Uh, they're just getting them for free and making you pay for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be one of them. But the other one is that like, you know, people like you and I, and, and of course Stefan's not here, but Stefan obviously is included as well, have have put themselves at a, at a severe financial disadvantage to do this stuff because we think it's important. Mm-hmm. And imagine a obviously, you know, we're not just you know we're not we're not we're not lazy. <laughs> because we're we're turning away you know financial gain to do things that we think are are moral imperatives uh, or speak to a to a personal moral imperative, uh, but also how much more could we do if if we didn't need to worry about you know where we're going to get money to eat 
you know, if people like you and I and Stefan and, and millions of other Canadians had guaranteed incomes, mm-hmm. what could we do? The idea that all those people, or even most of them, uh, would sit home and play video games all day uh, yeah. is frankly insulting yeah. um, and is just demonstrably false. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that the greatest thing this country could ever do would be to, at, the, at a minimum, uh, pass a, a minimum standard. And we could put some regulations on that. We could say that, you know, you need to demonstrate that you're doing something kind of like how the way that they do grants, right? Sure. Uh, an arts grant. We're, yeah. we're not going to tell you what to draw. Just draw yeah. something, show us the drawing and we'll give you the money for it. Yeah. Uh, I think that that is increasingly becoming a conversation we could have. And if as soon as anybody says, aha, well, how are you going to pay for it? Great. We're also going to tax the crap out of the rich <laughs> because they don't deserve a tenth of the money that they earn. Yeah. And I think the Wells Fargo earned, quote unquote, earned, sorry, quote unquote, <laughs> uh, the Wells, the Wells Fargo, uh, right now with Elizabeth mm. Warren just absolutely handing mm. that CEO his ass on on t- television and breaking all the news headlines is an amazing example of that. But that's just one tiny example mm-hmm. of a systemic problem yeah. uh, of all these people who do no work and don't really deserve anything that they gain. Uh, and yet they have the gall to turn around and call the rest of us lazy. Mm-hmm. And I say, screw them. So on that negative note, <laughs> on that brief negative note, we're going to go out on an extremely positive note, which is that the reason this caring, the reason I think, at least for me, that I do what I do is that not because I'm selfish, not because I'm looking for a handout is because i view us all as it, it we're, we're only as good we're only we should be judged by the least among us uh, and right now the least among us have it pretty bad mm. uh and i i'm viewing this from a, a whole earth from a whole mm. humanity perspective and uh, that is my goal that we all need to be sort of risen up a little bit uh at perhaps at the cost of like five people who need to be brought down a peg so that <laughs> billions of the rest of us can be brought up uh i will let Carl Sagan at this point do the talking uh, we'll, we'll listen out through this last clip as the end of this week's show from this distant vantage point the earth might not seem of any particular interest but for us it's different consider again that dot that's here that's home that's us on it everyone you love everyone you know everyone you ever heard of Every human being who ever was lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines, every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on the mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe, 
are challenged by this point of pale light. Our planet is a lonely speck in the great enveloping cosmic dark. In our obscurity, in all this vastness, there is no hint that help will come from elsewhere to save us from ourselves. The Earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yes. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the Earth is where we make our stand. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Right. That was it. You asked for it, Rob. We got it. That was beautiful. Thank you. I really enjoyed that. I'm, I'm literally tearing right now. Yeah. And it happens every single time I listen to that. Uh, I have nothing other to say other than uh, ditto. And I think, uh, at least for me, the, the deeper in which you absorb that message, uh, the better person you are. But I'm biased. Uh, I will give you the final word on this week's bonus show, Rob. Uh, I agree wholeheartedly, Darren. And it just occurred to me, I am... Um I've been wanting to do meditation more in the mornings, just a little 10-minute easy things. Everything I've come across suggests meditation is good for you, but I find it challenging. And it just occurred to me, you know what? For this October, I'm going to wake up to three minutes of that, and that'll be my my morning meditation. And I'd maybe invite uh, your listeners to, to do the same. I think that might be really interesting. Yeah. Thank well you. Said. Thanks for having me on the program. Absolutely. Have a good week, everybody. Take care. 